This podcast has bad words in it. You have been warned. I'm Zach Bohannon. I make my living telling stories, but I'm also a metalhead, retired drummer, avid gamer, and most importantly, a loving husband and father. Join me each week as I sit down with a fellow dad and discuss balancing a creative life with family, careers, hobbies, and all the other things guys love. This is the Creator Dad Podcast. I told you before you started, this is your show. (laughs) This week. (laughs) It's hard to break those habits. I know, right? <laughs> well, welcome back. Thanks, man. You're the, you're, the fir- you're the first return guest. I was going to ask if I'm the official first return guest. That's quite an honor. I'm sure if there was a pool going for that, I'm sure that you would have been at the top of the list. I'm sure. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty obvious. I'm pretty sure people would figure that one out pretty fast. So how are you doing? Oh, that's a good thing or not. I'm asking you how you're doing. It doesn't, I talk to you all the time. I know it's not like, uh, it's not like we're catching up from the last time we recorded. I haven't asked you about your plant lately. My plants are doing great, man. Can you believe it? I mean, it, I, it's, it's still alive. That's pretty amazing. Do you actually water it? Yeah. I, I, I have, I have to put it on my calendar. It's a Google item. Of course you do. <laughs> Otherwise the thing would end up dead. But, um, back in the house and when I was in the attic, I, I went through probably 20 house plants. And none of them lived except this one. And I brought this one with me to the apartment. And uh, here we are six months later or more, and it's still alive. I mean, it's basically crawling down your shoulders. So I think it'd yeah. be pretty hard to forget to water it. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I just think it's funny you had to put it on your calendar. Did you have to do that with your kids? <laughs> I knew you were like, going to ask that. Time to feed my kids. <laughs> hey, this is creator dad. So <laughs> no, but you know what you. I have done for my kids? Uh, not, not so much anymore, but when um, before they were driving, if I had to pick them up, I'd have to put an alarm on my phone. Cause I'd be like in the middle of like writing or doing a podcast and be like, Oh shit, I gotta, I gotta pick the kids up from school. Dude, so I, I, get, I, I get that, man. I mean, that's yeah. like, um, you know, with creative work like this and when you get in the zone and stuff, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's really easy to, to lose time. <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, I do that every day. Like I have my time blocks and I use my, uh, like I set a timer every day to go off, like whenever I want that time to end just for that reason. Like, yeah. If, yeah. Uh, so I'm like, can be aware of, of what time it is and what's going on and all that stuff. So I, so I totally get it. So. Totally dated reference, but there was a Simpsons episode where Homer forgets to pick Bart up from school <laughs> and it's just a whole disaster. And I'm like, I don't want to be that dad. <laughs> it's not that dated. That show is still on the air, which is unbelievable. It is. But this episode was from like the, the early nineties, I think back when it was good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, cause I think it was like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I never really got into that show, but I've always heard people say like the first like eight seasons are really good or something like that. Or like, yeah, Tennessee, I don't know. It's so yeah. all at this point. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Those, those first probably seven or eight are just classic. They're so good. So, uh, what are we talking about today? I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> no, I wanted to bring, we, we talked about, um, so you and I are always recommending books back and forth, obviously, yep. like constantly. And, um, and I messed with you because, you know, I, and ironically, uh, you know, we're talking about money and finances today. And one, one deal I had going with myself that I had like just started was I'm not buying any books right now. 
<laughs> like I'm, I'm going to focus on getting through my backlog. Um, I'm doing the same thing with video games. Like I'm, I'm focused on what I have and not trying to get anything else. And uh, with books, it was the same way. I'm like, I'm going to go through and I'm going to, I'm going to make myself like read at least five books that I already have in my library before I get something else. And as you know, a, the next day or two, you come to me and like, dude, you got to read this. <laughs> and, and, um, I was like, uh, I was like, dude, I just started this thing. And, you know, now you're trying to get me to buy a money book when I'm already trying to save money and all this. But the, the truth is I've been like really on this kick of reading finance books lately. Um, I've read, I think this was the third or fourth one I've read this year. Um, and so I was like, I got the sample and I was like, okay, this is something I need to read. Um, and so the book we're talking about is The Psychology of Money, um, Timeless Lessons on Wealth, Greed, and Happiness by Morgan Housel. Um, and so I read it and you've, you told me that you read it and then immediately went back to the beginning and started over, right? Yes. <laughs> so, um, and, and of course, you know, we have to do this. We are not financial advisors. We are not tax accountants. We're not, none of that stuff. We're just um, like, this is something that uh, Jay and I have been really the last couple of years, I know like individually um, have been really taking a look at our financial health and, um, and, and reading a lot of books, doing a lot of research and stuff to, you know, set ourselves up for, uh, for the future and for now as well, but also for the future. So, um, and, uh, and so, you know, this is a topic that you and I love talking about and just are really interested in. So we figured we'd come here. So like what, cause I know you've read a lot of finance books too. What was it about the psychology of money that kind of, what set that one apart to you compared to some other ones you've read? Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I, I have my Kindle highlights up. I have um, mine up too. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's the first one I took. The premise of this book is that doing well with money has little to do with how smart you are and a lot to do with how you behave and behavior is hard to teach even to really smart people. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm in. And, and, and here, like, I've read like rich dad, poor dad and the Tony Robbins books. And like, I've read all of those and they all kind of say the same thing. And I'm not saying it's wrong or it's bad, but they all say the same thing. And they all come from a perspective that the bottom line is all that matters, right? It, it doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. As long as you don't have debt, as long as you're making money, you're investing money. And, and there's just premises that are never questioned. And I'm not wired that way. Yeah. I'm not wired the way those guys are. Like, again, I, I'm not saying it's wrong. It, it's, it's very good advice. Like even, even things like Dave Ramsey and debt snowballs and, and the fire movement, all of that, like, it's really great stuff. But like, I just never read a personal finance book that sort of spoke to exactly who I am until I picked this one up. So that's why I did. Yeah. It definitely takes a different approach and you're right. A lot of those books kind of say the same thing. And, um, you know, a lot of them can, uh, you know, help because I, you know, some of those books you mentioned definitely helped to get me to a certain place to start learning about things. But um, you're right, man. Like this, the one of the great things about this book is just like changing your behavior. 
And, you know, I'll admit a lot of the stuff, um, and I'm sure you kind of felt the same way too. I felt like there was a ton I learned from this book, but I also felt like a lot of it was validation um, just based on uh, kind of the way that I already view how I like how I'm living and stuff like that. And how I, a lot of it just kind of backed up. Okay. I'm like head in the right direction, but like it, so it reinforced it, but also really made me start looking at things, you know, at another level and being like, Oh, okay. This is um, like, so one, one of the big things that I love that this book talks about is, is enough. And um, like yes. knowing what enough is um, cause like, that's it. A lot of those, a lot of those books that you mentioned, um, they, they talk about, uh, just continuing to grow your wealth and yeah. just grow it, grow it, grow it, grow it, grow it. But like, what, at what point, to what point a, right? Yeah. yeah. To what goal? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. To what point, like, uh, at what point do you need to not worry so much about it? And and, and I think that's important because it, that can impact decisions you make. So like that can be the difference between you being looking long-term and being like, okay, I'm just going to continue to invest my money in index funds and, and, and go after it. Or like going, oh my God, like cryptocurrency is outrageous right now. I'm going to throw all this money into it because I need, I need to take advantage of this. I need to grow this money. Now, the the upside of that can be amazing but the downside of that can be detrimental and can be life-changing in its own negative way as opposed to like if you look long term and you're just again you know you're focused on just putting you know filling out your IRA doing you know in your mutual fund your index funds and all that you know like history says you're going to be okay in the end and you're going to have enough. But I think defining what that enough is, 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 is very, very crucial. It is. And, and I know, like, I don't, I don't think this was necessarily something that came out of Housel's book. In fact, there was a, another personal finance book I read. I think it's called die with zero. Yeah. I was actually going to bring that book up too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that questions the whole premise of wealth building to begin with. Yeah. Which is like, why are you doing it? Uh, so I, I, this is going to sound crass. I don't mean it that way. I, this is, I'm being very analytical about it. Let's assume that uh, with, with the advances of technology and healthcare, and based on the trend of human life expectancy over the past 150 years, let's assume for a second that you and I are going to live to be 90. Let's be, or even 100. Like either, let's, let's play it safe. We'll call it 90, right? We're going to live to be 90. Um, if I die at 90, what is there any amount of money that's going to make any difference in my kids' lives when they're in their 70s? Yeah. <laughs> right? So like the, the assumption that I'm questioning is, well, you have to build wealth, build wealth, and build wealth and make it generational so you can leave it for your kids. But like my kids are going to be to a point in their life where they're going to be retired. Like that money is meaningless to them. Now, you could make an argument that, well, you could pass along the grandkids. So let's follow that, right? So let's say, okay, I, um, I die, I have $8 million and it goes to my, my son and he's like, I don't need this. He passes it along to his son who, who might be in his 30s or 40s, maybe at a time in his life where that money really can make a difference. 
Um, or worse yet, they're younger. And I, I, and I think the general generational wealth is really a problem because do you want your daughter growing up with everything handed to her? No. Like, do you want her to just accept a, a, a trust fund and, and not learn how to earn the money? Like I, I just think generational wealth is, is a more of a problem. And I think the assumption that we're all building generational wealth to leave to our children or our descendants is just fundamentally flawed. It's just not something I believe in. Yeah, that I mean, that was definitely <clears throat> um, talking about another book for me, talking about the one you mentioned, like Die With Zero. Um, you know, that was that was a big lesson in there. And, and it's not that he taught, and I don't remember the author's name of that book, but um, off the top of my head, I could probably pull those oh, notes yeah. up too. But, um, you know, it's not that he was saying in there, uh, don't leave your kids anything, you know, necessarily. I think it was Bill Perkins. I think that was the author's name. Um, That's I saw you were looking it up, but um, yeah, I'm looking I it believe up. it's Bill yep. Perkins, I think is his name. Um, but it wasn't necessarily like, don't leave your kids anything necessarily but like uh but he made some really good points in that book you know like what are you waiting on like do you uh like let's say for instance you want to go like a dream of yours is to go ski in the alps or something like that like do you would you rather do that when you're 65 or 70 or would you rather do that when you're 35 or 40 you know like that's so um i thought that was that was pretty interesting too i mean i because i think there was some stuff in that book that i thought was a little bit I mean, you have to definitely read it, but I, I did feel kind of like, oh, I don't, like for some people, I don't know if this would necessarily be good. Like if people aren't really disciplined with their money, I almost think it could be like enabling in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, cause you do got to look out for your future at the end, at the end of the day. But, but, uh, but the, but going back to your main point um, of generational wealth. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and I think part of that too comes back to, um, like, yeah, I don't want my daughter handed everything, but I also know that, um, going through the school system, she's not going to learn a lot about personal finance. Like to me, that's one of the biggest mistakes that is in our country is that, um, there is not, they focus a lot on in school. There's a lot of focus on things that, especially in this day and age, our kids are not going to use later on, but every kid is going to need personal finance. But what do we do? We don't do enough good, good a job of that as a society. And then what's the first thing that, that kids are encouraged to do once they're out of high school, go to college and go into debt. <laughs> so um, uh, yeah, so it's just, the system's really messed up. And um, you know, my point of that is that, you know, and, and I know you've done this, but is, is that, one of my big goals is to, uh, you know, make sure I do a good job teaching my daughter about personal finance and, um, and, and all this stuff that I'm learning and instituting in my own life now, so that when I do get to a point where I'm able to hand her, you know, potentially a, a chunk of money or whatever that she inherits or from a fund or something, like she is responsible and doesn't just go out and blow it. You know what I'm saying? Like she can be. Yeah. Set. But like by the time she gets that, maybe she should <laughs> like maybe. Yeah. She, and you're very she, true. Yeah. Right. Like if she gets that money in her seventies, like what, you know, she's not going to be starting a family at 70 or, or buying a house or no, you're right. You know, like, and, and like we've had this somewhat 
frank but uh tongue-in-cheek conversation with our kids where we've said like you guys like we're dying broke just so you know like you're not going to be left anything what we've done is we've resourced you in the most uh important times of your life when you couldn't have done it otherwise like in our situation, we've put both kids through 12 years of private school. We're going to put them both through college with little to no debt. And now it's time for you to live your life. It's yeah. time for you to earn your way. We've given you every advantage possible. Um, so don't expect in your 70s or 80s to be handed a check from us. It's going to be gone. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to spend it um, like mad because uh, we've given you all the advantages that we could possibly could. Yeah. Just to back up for me, I think more what I was talking about, because I agree with you. Like I... You know, I, there, I mean, I'm not really thinking that far ahead yet. <laughs> Maybe I should be. Um, but I was talking more um, uh, like you and I the other day were talking about college funds and stuff like that privately, like that sort of fund where if my daughter, you know, doesn't um, decide to go to college, like that is money that I feel like she'll be entitled to. Yes much earlier than, yes. than 70. And like, that's, that's more, I, sh- I should have clarified that. That's more what I'm talking about. Like, I want her to be prepared. Cause like, if I had gotten, uh, you know, a good chunk of money, like when I was 25 or whatever, like I, I would have definitely done different things with it than I would done at 35 or, you know, 30, yeah. 38 yeah. as I'm about to be now. So, right. Um, right. you know, but I, but I want to do a good job of teaching her what that, you know, uh, more about finance and such. Yes, so, absolutely. And yeah. I, and I feel, I feel bad. I, I feel like I pulled us off on a tangent here. That's not, not really about Housel's book. No, but I'm I, like, I, no, I wanted to bring talk. it. Yeah. Yeah. I want, I want to bring it back to that because I think um, there was a, a sort of another premise in the book that really resonated with me that I think applies to the conversation we're having now and, and, and the rest of this conversation, which is no financial advice is worth anything. If you can't sleep at night, Yeah. like, and if you think about that, like I, I'll give you a very tangible example. Mathematically, logically, analytically, on paper, I know I should be investing in real estate. I 100% know that. Why do I know that? Because the smartest people I know with money are investing in real estate. Because over the history of the country, real estate investments the only thing that outpaces inflation. It's the safest. It's the best bet. But if I own real estate, I can't sleep at night. Because... Uh, whether it's me or whether it's a property manager, I'm thinking, what happens when the basement floods? What happens when the toilet backs up? What happens when it needs a new roof? What happens when I have a tenant who's dealing meth out of the bathroom window? Like, I- I'm I'm being I'm exaggerating, but I have no peace of mind if I own real estate. And so for me, it's a terrible investment, even though on paper it should be the one I'm doing. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that goes back to what I was saying a few minutes ago when I was saying that if you understand what your enough is, you know, then you don't have, you don't, you, you can come to those decisions different because, you know, you may have a bunch of people telling you, oh, you want to make a lot of money. If you want to make a lot of money. This is how you do it. It's real. It's in real estate. And it would be really easy for you to make an emotional decision and just take that advice without thinking about what you're thinking about. You know, it's the same. That's the same concept to me of, and, and, you know, this, this book talks a lot about material possessions as well. And, um, like what you think you want versus, you know, what you really should be looking at, like what wealth looks like. And that's the same thing people talk about when they're talking about, um, 
you know, uh, buying like a boat or a car or something, you know, like a specific car, like are you, they, people don't tend to think about like on top of the payment, how much is insurance going to be? What about maintenance? Where am I going to store this? You know, all like, um, and all the things that come along with ownership of, of things, you know, it was even like, you know, a couple of years ago, um, me and, uh, me and my wife, me and Catherine were talking about, um, <clears throat> buying like a, uh, you know, one of those like playground swing set slide things for the backyard. And she's like, that'd be awesome if Haley could just go outside and do that. And I'm like, yeah, but like, she's going to grow out of that. Those things are a pain in the ass to get rid of. Like, you know, I'm, you know, and they're going to get rained on all this stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm like, when we can just take a five minute drive to the park where it's free, we don't have to own it. It's not sitting in our backyard. We don't have to dispose of it later. Someone else maintains it. You know, it's, it's a similar thing. And what you're talking about, like if you own property, even if it's, it's, that's not really passive income. Like, even if you have a property manager, again, like you said, you're still like, you know, that it's going to keep you up at night and it's going to keep you up thinking about all that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the burden of ownership and, and, and it is, I'm, I'm, I'm totally saying like, it is absolutely the best investment you can make. I'm not disagreeing with the people who own real estate. I'm just saying it's not the, the path of investment for me because I want to be able to sleep at night. And, and to your point about the materialism side, there's a great anecdote in this book that really, I, I can't believe it was the first time I had this realization. He talks about, um, Morgan was like a, a, uh, a valet parker in LA um, shortly out of college. And he was, he was parking like Ferraris and Lambos and like all these super expensive cars. And he was like, the assumption everyone makes is if I buy that car, it's a status symbol and people are going to think I'm cool. And he was like, and it's completely wrong. When people see that car, they're not thinking that dude in that car is really cool. They're thinking, damn, I'd look cool in that car. <laughs> so I have a great, I have a couple, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that conversation up too. So um, I have a couple of great analogies about this. For one, well, before I get to my analogies, I do want to bring up, he also talked about something that I tell people all the time, like when, I, when I'm talking about money and they, they like to correlate like what people have with wealth. And I have the highlight here. I'll just say it. Like he said, someone driving a $100,000 car might be wealthy, but the only data point you have about their wealth is they have $100,000 less than they did before they bought the car or $100,000 in debt. That's all you know about them. And that's why I tell people, I'm like, just because you see someone with a nice car, all that means is that they were able to get a loan. Yes. That doesn't mean they have the money. Right. That's a complete, and he, and he brought that up in the book. He talked about, um, I think when he's talking about the Ferrari or Lamborghini or whatever, a couple of weeks later, the same guy came and had like a Honda yeah. or something because <laughs> it had gotten repossessed, you know? So getting a loan is not the same thing as being able to afford it. Just, you know, being able to make the monthly payment is not the same thing as being able to afford it. But yeah. going back to what you were saying, you know, I, I used to say this a lot when I was um, working as a personal trainer, the gym is the same thing. Yeah. I've talked to so many people. Um, I, had, I had this conversation recently with somebody where they were like, man, I feel really self-conscious when I'm at the gym. And like, I feel like, you know, I don't want people, 
Like, I don't, I, I just feel weird because there's so many people there. And I'm like, no one is looking at you. No, no one is paying attention to what you're doing. Like everyone is, if they're not looking out their phone for one, like they're looking at in the mirror and like, you'll see the dudes doing their bicep curls and they look in the mirror and they're looking at themselves. No one's paying attention to you. You know, another analogy, social media. We think people are paying attention to us, but I left social media without telling anybody. And that was three years ago. I've had two people in that time come <laughs> ask me what happened, where I've been. Like, because no, no, just because someone's going through and liking your stuff doesn't mean they're really paying attention. It's, it's, it's about people posting their best highlights of their life. It's not about you. So it's the same thing here. Like, if you want to drive a nice car, like if you want, um, like I'll admit, like I, if I had the money and I could afford to go out and buy one with cash, like I would probably go buy a Tesla. I really like a Tesla, but like, I wouldn't do it to impress anybody. Like I would do it because I would enjoy owning a Tesla. And if I was in a position where I could afford, like actually afford it, not be able to get a loan or anything, like I would probably seriously look at buying a Tesla. But it has nothing to do with with any with anybody else. Well, and it, you and I have have talked about this since we've known each other. Like, if you if you live a modest lifestyle and you can find happiness and joy in simple things, you don't need a lot of material stuff. Oh. And I'm not passing judgment. There, you know, there are people who collect millions of dollars worth worth of things, art art pieces, and 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 that and that's great. Like, if that brings them joy and happiness. Like for me, if I can take my Kindle outside on a Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. and read in the sun for an hour, that is priceless. Like yeah. that's, that's all I need. If I have my family around and they're healthy and everyone's good, we can eat. We're not worrying, worrying about where the next rent payment's going to come from. And I have those, like I can walk in the park with my wife. That's it. like, that's it. I don't, I don't need fancy trips and cars and like, I just don't need any of that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I'm like, when I started getting really into this, into minimalism and stuff just a couple of years ago, that was one, that was like the first thing I said is like, on a day to day basis, what really makes me happy that I own? Like, what are my possessions I own that really makes me happy? And it was only a few things. Yeah. And my Kindle was one of them. Yeah. And, you know, my, my video game stuff, you know, which like that's the most money I spent in the last few years was when the new consoles came out, but I prepared for it. I paid cash, like all that good stuff. I knew it was coming. And, but other than that, like, there's just not a lot that I really need and have even taken steps to make sure that I don't fall into all these traps that we have, you know, like I'm obviously not on social media. So like one byproduct of that is not getting advertised all that stuff. Now, of course, I'm still getting ads. I'm not sitting here saying that. Like going to websites, you know, I do enjoy YouTube. I get ads on there. But like, I don't have the Amazon app on my phone, you know, because I, I feel like that's a trap. Like that's that that can be a barrier for a lot of people. It's you're sitting there bored. It's really easy to just pick up the Amazon, go to the Amazon app on your phone, start looking. You end up spending money you don't need Yeah, uh, on things you don't need. You know, I have a rule with myself and uh, I'll give credit where it's due. The minimalist uh, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. This is kind of like one of their, their rules for living a minimalist lifestyle. If something's over $30, if something costs over $30, I don't buy it for 30 hours. Like I, I, I make myself wait. And if I really want it, I figure if I really want it after that time, I'll remember. And by that point, I'm like, okay, 
Like I, I, I think at this point I'm cool spending that money and that you can, your number can move. Maybe it's $50, maybe it's a hundred, you know, it, that, that's dependent on your situation. But, um, you know, like I figure, cause it, it keeps me from making impulse emotional decisions, which is what so much of our purchases have to do with. Yeah. It's, uh, this is a bit in the weeds, but I think it goes to your point. It wasn't until I was self-employed where I really started to be able to measure this because what happened was I set up an LLC. I created my own business accounts. I had an, uh, I had a credit card that was specifically for business. And because I'm a writer and publisher, books are a write-off. Uh, those, are, those are tax deductible expenses. So I started when I first created the, uh, the LLC, instead of using my personal money and credit card for books, I started using my business account. And what I noticed, two things that I noticed, First of all, that's about all I buy outside of essentials. <laughs> yeah. Really, like I, I rarely buy clothes. I, I, if I look at my personal credit card statement now, it's like uh, it's a couple utilities that are set up on auto pay and it's food. And that's yeah. it. Like there's, there's nothing else on there. And when I look at my business one, like I, I see Amazon books all the time. And, and I, made a, I made a deal with myself that like books are always an investment that's worth it 100%. So I never pause on... I'll even buy a Kindle book that's like $9.99. I don't care. Like it's, it's an investment. It's worth it. And, and the, the other thing that I realized about that, like compared to when I had a W-2, when I had a W-2 and worked a day job, I didn't have business expenses. And, and now that I, and, and there's, it's a bit offset with the self-employment tax, but now that I'm self-employed and my only sort of luxury is now tax deductible, I, I'm putting more, I'm, it's weird, but I'm putting more money in my pocket um, than I was before with the same habit. But it's because it's because the expense is so minimal and it and it brings me so much joy and it's directly correlated to my business that it all works. Well, the, here's the cool thing, too, is like it could it could be even more minimal because of the library, <laughs> yeah. you know, like if you really want it to. But that, that just making the point, like mm-hmm. not everything you enjoy has to cost money. You know? No, no, you're absolutely right. There's a, uh, you know, I, I'm still in the Clevenet, which is one of the best public library systems in the country where they, uh, they loan eBooks. Um, and, and so uh, now the reason I started buying them outright is because uh, I couldn't always get the highlights to send from, from the library books. Yeah. And I love the highlights. So I'm like, wow, for even if it's a Kindle book and it's $10, I'm going to get the book the Kindle highlights, I don't have to store it. I don't have to sell it. Yeah. I'm not transferring paper. It's tax deductible. And it's what I mostly do in my free time my entire life. Like, how could I lose at that? Yeah. No, yeah, I'm right there with you. And I mean, yeah. I have, you know, even though I'm on the book pause now, I have the same rule where it's like, I, I always allow myself books. Yep. You know, the reason I'm on that pause now is because I'm trying, it's more about a lesson in appreciating what I already have. And, and trying to, instead of like always like having to get, an, a, it's more of a habit thing and like doing a better job of reading the books I do buy. So that in the future, if I do come across a book, I, I'm like, well, if I'm, I'm, if, if I'm going to read it right now, like I did with this one, I, I started reading this book right away, but so many books I buy. And then it's like, I don't get to, I don't get to them right then. And then they, you know, so, um, but yeah. And it's like, I mean, I learned so much about that stuff from, you know, just 
the um I'm, I'm very great one thing i'm very grateful for about my old job was my boss um if if any you know bring up another book if anyone has ever read the millionaire next door that was basically my old boss like and he taught me so much about um like finance you know your finances and and, and there was some stuff that he kind of took a little too far to the extreme but at its core like this is a guy that um he lit i've I, he literally has stories about people uh, and this might be an example of it being a little bit extreme but he literally has people have had people come up to him on the street and hand him money because they thought he was homeless um because he he has this big old beard and he's like he buys all his clothes from goodwill and all this stuff but like it's just because he does he, do, he doesn't buy into the idea that he needs to like have really nice suits and buy new clothes and uh, he always buys used cars. I remember when he bought his Lexus or his Infinity. It was like he waited and waited, found the best deal, paid cash for it. But that's what people who who were actually very fine. That's what they do. They don't buy brand new cars and 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 um, always have to dress to the fullest. And you know they pay cash for their houses and 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 all that sort of thing. You know, or a lot of them now like don't own homes at all you know i mean we're moving to this really cool spot in our culture where we're kind of moving away from ownership yes you know which uh, one of the things i love pointing to and i was telling my buddy blake about this the other day actually or my buddy matt was uh was when you and i were in seattle and we were walking around and they had those lime cars those cars you could just rent like they were on the side of the road you could just like uh the just like a bike or a scooter or something, you just put your credit card in, drive the car where you need to go, park it and get out. And think, and then there's Uber and like all this stuff. It's just like, if you live, now obviously there are variables, like if that is going to depend on where you live and stuff, whether you could take advantage of those things, but we're still moving in that direction, which, which I think is awesome because um, like, I really value my independence and, um, and, and my, my, my freedom and like not being tied down to things. I know that you're in that position right now. You know, that's why you're living in an apartment and stuff because you're, you don't want to be tied down to anything. Um, I, I just love that we're living in that time. Yeah, me too. I think ride sharing kind of kicked that off, uh, as part of the research I was doing for the, uh, carbon almanac. I came across an article and, you know, take it for what it's worth. It doesn't really matter if, if the number is entirely accurate, but it basically said the average American who owns a car, that car sits parked in their driveway or garage, like 98% of the time. Yeah. Like you think about that, right? Like you think about the waste that's involved. Like I, I think a car is a terrible investment. It's a terrible purchase. What other thing do you have in your life that you bought, you spend thousands and thousands of dollars and you use it 2% of the time. Yeah. Like we drive it to work and it sits, we come home and it sits like, and I don't know, like maybe people, maybe like people need to sub rent their cars out or, or, you know, maybe that's part of ride sharing. Maybe that's where it will evolve or maybe driverless cars will, will, will cure that. Like if you have a driverless car, maybe you can like send it out while you're sleeping and it can, you know, <laughs> shuttle people around and you can make money that way. But like, as it stands right now, most people who own a car, it sits 98% of the time. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, for me, a car is, it's not a status symbol. It's not an asset. It's, it's a tool. 
<laughs> it's a liability. It uh, is. I mean, you, you know, you, you drive a new car off the lot and you've immediately lost value. So, oh, you know, it's not an investment at all. It's definitely a liability. And then the older it gets, the more of a liability it becomes. Uh, so like cars in themselves and like, and I, I, I think, I don't disagree with the, the millionaire next door idea, but you know, like frugality drives me crazy. Yeah. Uh, and, and what bothers me about extreme frugality are people who do it without, without a reason. Like, yes. well, like, right. Like they do it and they're like, well, I want to save money. Okay. Why? Well, because I want to build wealth. Okay. Why? Well, because I want to have a lot of money when I'm old. Why? Like, and, and they can't, there's no, like, they can't get to the, the, the final answer. Like if you say, well, I'm frugal and I'm buying a secondhand car because I don't think cars are a status symbol. That's totally legit in my book. Right. But if you're like, if you're buying generic butter your entire life so that you can save a nickel a week for 40 years, what's the point? Like you you've given up that experience of the good tasting butter for decades so that you have a few extra hundred dollars at the end of your life that you're going to die with in your bank account. I just don't get that. Yeah. I think, I think that form of frugality, I'm actually, I'm sitting here. There's a, there's a great quote in this book that he mentions frugality. Um, I know I, I saw it a few minutes ago and um, now, now I can't find it. Um, I'll, I'll look again, find a second, but I think like, so I would definitely consider myself a frugal person. Um, which, and, and I know like you're like, I, I think what you're saying is hundred percent true. Like, because I'm not, I, I don't, my frugality is not to earn necessarily like to, to, for, for way later on, like my frugality is to get, is, is more of a short-term deprivation to get where I'm trying to get right now. Like if I'm a little more frugal and it's not like, look, I still go out and get coffee and stuff. It's not like, I'm not one of those, you know, if you don't go get a latte every morning, you'll, you know, this. Now I think, again, kind of going back to my, my, my book habit, like I do think there's a difference between, for some, for some people, it is not like, I don't know, like there, there, you could make the argument that like, cutting off that habit can be a good thing to not go do that type of stuff. Just because a lot of people don't know where their money is going. I was in this position when I used to work at my old job. I, I didn't realize how much money I was spending on, on coffee and on lunch and, and every single day until I sat and wrote it down. And, and at the end of the week, when I got my, you know, at the end of the month, I'd look back and be like, where's all my money going? And I, and from, and it was part, that was part of the problem. So I think for that, um, to, to, to start learning like, okay, uh, where's my money going? Like that sort of thing. And that's not exactly what we're talking about, but it is kind of related. Um, yeah. but for me, it's more just like about really trying to get where I want to be right now so that later, and when I say later, I'm not talking about when I'm 60 or 70, but like just several years from now, I can be in a better position to like do whatever, be financially, have financial independence. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I agree, man. I think people do this in, in many ways. We're, we're totally irrational. That's another thing that came up in, in this book. Like people don't make rational decisions. None of us, my, I don't, you don't, we all think we do and none of us do. And, and I, and I think that's something to recognize. Like if you take a look at the, the quantified self movement, for example, like I'm sure there are people who are counting every calorie, every step that they take, because in a year they want to be 
healthy and vibrant and living a great life. I'm all for that. But I'm sure you got a ton of people who are checking their smartwatch every 30 seconds to see what their blood pressure is, to see what, how many yeah. steps they've walked, just because that's the habit they've developed. And that's, that's what you're talking about when if you're not paying attention, you're not being intentional, and you just you show up at the coffee shop, you're not deriving joy from that coffee. It's just a habit that you've, that you've built, and, and now you just do it because you just do it. And that's, that's where the problem is. Yeah, for sure. And, um, I did find that quote finally. Um, I, I don't, I don't feel like I highlight quite enough of it, but he says, um, I'll just, I'm, I'm just gonna say, and I'll just get your thoughts based on what I highlighted here, but he says there are a million ways to get wealthy and plenty of books on how to do so, but there's only one way to stay wealthy, some combination of frugality and paranoia. And that's a topic we don't discuss enough. Yes. And, and, and that it, the big, the bigger context of that was, he was describing the idea that acquiring wealth and keeping wealth are two totally different skill sets. Yes. And, and I think that that gets lost, right? You can be really great at building wealth and you are terrible at keeping it, <laughs> or you can be terrible at acquiring it, but you're really good at keeping it. And, and I think that is again, not something that's taught, not something that I've heard in a lot of personal finance books. Like the assumption is if you build the wealth, you're all set but some people are not very good at holding on to it. No. <laughs> and, right. And like, and that, that matters a lot. Like you can earn a ton of money uh, and live a lavish lifestyle. That doesn't make you wealthy. No, it doesn't. I mean, and, and yeah. And, you know, he talks in this book about um, your, your how important your savings rate is. Yeah. And, you know, that goes back to um, a lot of times it's really hard, you know, and, and I tell authors this when I have authors come to me and they're, you know, like, oh, you know, how did you get to the point where you're making enough money to go full time? You know, a lot of times I'm like, well, you're kind of asking the wrong question. Like, yes, you have to have money coming in. But um, and some, you know, I'm not saying people don't do this, but like for me, it was more, OK, what's going out? Like, what? how can I increase my savings rate? Like in a position I'm in now, I don't really have a lot of control over how much money I'm making. But in a lot of ways, I can control how much I'm saving. Yeah. Like I can, and I think that's where some of my frugality came in, you know, when, when I, especially when I had the goal of, I want to get out of this job and I want to be a full-time author. So, um, I, or I want to work for myself full-time. I was like, okay, well, I can't really control how much I'm making. I can keep writing books and stuff, but that's good. And, and it will go up over time, but what can I do right now? What can I cut out? What can I live without? Um, how can I, what, what, what bills can I renegotiate? Um, and, you know, go look at my car insurance again, look at all, the, you know, all, all the, all those sorts of things and was able to pad away a bunch of savings really quick and, uh, you know, not be in any debt and put myself in that position to be able to do what I'm doing when, and now about to go on five years as, a, as doing this full time. So, yeah. And, and I think too, I want to completely recognize and acknowledge uh, both of us, um, definitely me, I can definitely speak for myself. We, we are the product of a cumulative advantage of being white guys. Yeah. Uh, like there's no way around that. Like, uh, I, I want to completely recognize that I've, I've never been in a position where I was wondering if I was going to be able to pay the rent or what wondering whether I was going to be able to give my kids food. Like that's, that's never been a problem I've had. And I recognize that advantage that I've had to no fault of my own. It's lucky yeah. sperm club. I just, it's just where, where, where I ended up. And 
uh, I, I completely acknowledge that. And I, and uh, you know, what I, what I often think about is kind of almost circling back to the, the anecdote about Kurt Vonnegut and uh, was it Jonathan Heller with catch 22 about yeah. being enough. Like I, I think about, I think about my ideal day and I'm fortunate enough that I have it right now. Like I, there isn't, I don't have like this desire to like live half a year in Ibiza and go clubbing in Athens. And uh, like, I don't have those aspirations. Like I, I, I'm very happy with a very simple lifestyle. And, uh, and it really, it came home to me at one point um, I was having a conversation with our mutual friend, Jimmy and, um, and, uh, and Jimmy's like, and I said something like, yeah, you know, if, if I could have my ways, I'd be out in a, uh, you know, if I could do exactly what I wanted right now. And he's like, you kind of are dude. And I was like, yeah, he called my bullshit. I'm like, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, being in control of my time, uh, being able to work on things I care about, being able to make enough money to support my family. Like I'm wealthy. Yeah, it doesn't, exactly. it, it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter how many, you know, what my, what the balance of my RIA, uh, my, my Roth IRA is like, I'm wealthy right now. And, and it, it's important for me to remind myself of that. And I think other people who have the privilege that we do need to remind themselves of that too, that um, wherever your privilege lies, wherever, whatever the source of it, uh, wherever it comes from, um, having that sense of gratitude is not a woo woo bullshit kind of thing. Like it's real. Like you, you should be grateful for what you have because uh, a lot of us and probably a lot of people listening to your podcast share the privilege that you and I do. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's for sure. And I'm, I'm glad, and I'm glad you made that distinction and brought that up because I'm hundred percent with you. Like I, I mean, I do realize that both of us do come from a place of, of privilege and um, you know, and um, yeah. And, and it's so funny, man. I was having the same conversation the other day at dinner with a friend. I was like, I was a, uh, I asked her, I was like, you know, if you could, if you could do whatever you like, if tomorrow your ideal day could like, what would your ideal day look like if you could do whatever you wanted, you know? And in that conversation, like I was, like, you know, she was like, you know, she goes, well, like, what about you? And I was like, I'm kind of doing that. Kind of doing it. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And, um, but it took a lot of, um, it took a lot of, work a lot of discipline stuff to, to get to that point, you know? Well, and that's, that's the other side, right? We're acknowledging yes. our privilege and that, 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 that we started on, on like, if I was born in, the, in 1971 in the Bronx as a black guy, <laughs> my level of privilege would be way different than it is now. But the flip side is you and I both have worked our asses off. We've, we've made sacrifices. We've been smart with our decisions and I think we, we deserve to reap some of those benefits too. Like, I don't think, um, you know, I, we've both worked for what we've earned. Nothing's been handed to us. Neither of us are trust fund kitties. Neither of us hit the lottery. Um, so yes, we're privileged um, and where we started, but at the same time, um, we've, we've earned, we've earned the right to, to create our day the way we want it to be. Absolutely. I mean, there's obviously a big difference between being privileged and entitlement. Yes. <laughs> there's a huge difference there, you know, and right. Um, you know, and, and another thing he brought up in this book was, um, and, and you and I have talked about this countless times, especially during COVID. I know it came up, uh, you know, during the high of the pandemic, but, you know, 40% of Americans, uh, I've heard a higher number than this. He says 40% in this book. I've heard 50. Um, 
can't come up with $400 in an emergency. 50% of Americans, that covers a lot of income. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I don't have those numbers right in front of me and he doesn't mention them, but like, you know, I, I would, I would guess that, uh, you know, people with the higher income earning of that it, within that 50%, there's no reason why they couldn't put aside an emergency fund with at least like a thousand dollars in it. Does that make like, do you think that's yeah. fair to say? Yeah. You know, it's a, it, I'm trying to be careful because I don't want it to be a, a sweeping generalization. I don't either. Yeah. That's um, why I'm being, I was picking my words really carefully. Right. But I do feel like uh, there, because of the, because of the culture that we're immersed in, people spend beyond their means and that's why they don't have that money. So they're not faultless. Like I think we all bear some responsibility for whatever personal situation we're in. But I understand, like, I understand why there are so many people who, who live on the razor's edge from week to week, people who live paycheck to paycheck, like the, the, the widening gap between the top 2% and the bottom 98 continues to grow. Um, wealth inequity is at its all time greatest. I mean, you look at what some of the data around what CEOs earn compared to the person in the cubicle, it's disgusting, you know, and it hasn't yeah. always been that way. Like, I don't, I don't know what it is now, but there was a time where a CEO made significantly more than the average employee, but not grossly more. And now it's, it's disgusting. Like you look at what the CEOs make versus what the people in the factory are making who are boxing the widgets and it's terrible. So I, I'm not, um, I don't like victim culture. I don't like, I don't want to give people the sense that like, you know, it all happened to them. Um, they they bear some responsibility, but I, I, but I recognize that, that culturally we've been driven to a point where, People feel like they got to have those goods. They have to have that perception and that's putting them in a financial hole. Yeah. I mean, like part, part of this quote that I left out was, um, you know, he says uh, Americans spend more money um, on, on lottery tickets than movies, video games, music, sporting events, and books combined. And it's mostly poor people that buy them. Um, the lowest income households in the U S on average spend $412 a year on lotto tickets. And a lot of those are the same people who can't come up with $400 for an expense, yep. you know, and he says they're, they're blowing their safety nets on something with a one in a million chance of hitting it big, you know, and, and I'm, I'm with you. Like, I don't, I don't support victim culture or whatever, you know, but I do acknowledge what you're saying, but I also acknowledge that like, it doesn't do any good to sit around and complain about rich CEOs, <laughs> you know, like um, it, it sucks that it's been like that, you know, but, um, you know, we need to do a better job of taking control of our own habits and our own, um, like the things we can control, you know, cause there's, there's a, there's a lot you can control, you know, I mean, I saw so many people during COVID when they were in quarantine, binging Netflix, you know, doing all this stuff when it's like, but then there were a lot of people that, that I, or I knew, I knew not a lot, but a few people that like use that time to learn a new skill, like to read, start their own new business, you know, and, and stuff like that. And yeah. So. Well, and, and like, that's, uh, we're still, we still don't know what those impacts are going to be. We're still in, in the pandemic mindset, yeah. but I had a very similar situation. I, I felt like I encountered people who were in one of two scenarios they were either completely melting down and being like, 
oh, well, I'm fucked. I'll just sit here and binge Netflix and I'm going to look for a handout from the government and I hope my job is still there. And there were, there were people who just surrendered to the situation. Um, and there were in the other, the other type of, of people that I encountered were people who saw it as an opportunity and said, okay, I got this time at home. The clock is ticking. I might go, have to go back to the office in three months. What can I do? Can I start a side hustle? Can I, can I look at ways of generating income that aren't dependent on an employer or a corporation? Neither are right or wrong. Both are, are, are realities. And what I think is incredible for most of us in this country, we get to choose that reality. We, we're collectively Americans are in a privileged place compared to a lot of the, the rest of the world in that um, we do have that, that option. And for all the problems of capitalism, was it Churchill who said, uh, uh, so I forget the quote about capitalism, but like it sucks, but it's like, you know, like the last best choice or something like that, yeah. you know, like, I, so like we, we, we Americans specifically have, have that opportunity. And even though, you know, it might be a sliver um, it's there. And uh, if you never take advantage or you never take the step forward, um, you'll never capitalize on that opportunity. Well, I feel like we went off on a lot of different directions, but <laughs> I, I expected that. So, and I'm actually going to, uh, I'm going to leave a note. I, I mean, for one, everyone should read this book. Like, I, I feel like this is a very great book to read, you know, no matter where you are in your financial journey, like this is, Definitely a book I'd recommend, but I'm also going to leave a note, uh, a, a video um, on YouTube by a guy named Ali Abdal, who did a great review of this book. Just basically, mm. um, he, he did, uh, he does a lot of productivity videos and stuff on like passive income and all kinds of stuff like that. And he did a great, it's about 17 minutes long, just like basically bullet points and what he took away from this book. And I mean, this is a guy who is like a multimillionaire and he still got like a ton of stuff out of this book. And um, so I'll, I'll post that in the show notes as well. Is there anything else you want to bring up over here about this book or? No, I mean, I think the takeaway for, for me for this book and even for this conversation is that you get to determine the lifestyle that you want to have. And once you can be intentional about the lifestyle you want to have, then you're going to know what choices you need to make when it comes to your finances. And, uh, and you and I are both very fortunate and we know exactly the kind of lifestyle we want. And so we can, we can act accordingly. Yeah. And, you know, if you, I know a lot of people who do nothing about their money, but sit around and worry about it. And they, they don't want to, you know, sit down and see what they're doing wrong, you know, actually try to budget. And I'm, I'm not a budgeter. I'm not a big budget person. I don't, but, but but I think at a minimum, you know, I know a lot of people who don't really have a true grasp on what they're spending month to month and how much they have coming in. Like, and so um, if you want to change your life with this stuff, you know, you have to, you have to put in the work and educate yourself and read and stuff like that. And you can, you can definitely do it and you can definitely get a place where you want to go. So, so yeah, so I'll have, um, again, I'll have the link to this book in the show notes and also to that video and stuff, but, uh, dude, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, talk, talking to me about this for a while. So it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm sure you'll be the first, uh, third appearance <laughs> guest as well. So, all right. All right I'll hold you to that. All right. Later, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the creator dad podcast. I'd like to invite you to join the official Creator Dad Discord community 
where fellow creator dads like you and me connect to discuss our creative endeavors, parenting, relationships, music, movies, and TV, sports, money, all the things that dudes love to talk about. Get all the details at patreon.com slash creator dad.